Are the Miami Dolphins ready to take the next step and be that team? Similar to what the Ravens did in San Francisco? An enormous AFC matchup is in store on Sunday as the Fish visit Baltimore for the top seed in the conference. Is it the end of an era already in Denver for quarterback Russell Wilson? Plus all the key games heading into the penultimate weekend of the NFL season. We could start to unpack the college football Final Four as we get set to ring in the new year with the semifinals between Washington and Texas and Michigan and Alabama. The Pistons made history for futility in NBA history. Is the all-time regular season record for losses in the forecast? Seattle awaits their first ever NHL Winter Classic on Monday versus the defending cup champs. Will anyone watch? It's the final podcast of 2023 as we conclude another year of delivering the latest sports talk. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, Just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. No more eggnog. Enough of Mariah Carey's Christmas classic getting jammed down our throats. It's time to count down the final days of 2023 and have our sights set on the new year. But here to share all of my thoughts on what is and has transpired in the sports universe to close out the year with a lot of pizzazz and passion as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And before I begin, I want to thank you all, each and every one of you, whether you've been here since day one or if this is your first day listening, I appreciate you for taking the time out to hear what it is that I have to say. And not only that, but also support and follow this little engine that could. I can't say enough of how much it means to me that you've been a part of this production. And believe me when I say this, 2024 will be. The biggest and best one yet. Stay tuned for all of it because the changes, facelifts, and leveling up will come a lot sooner than you think. So you've been warned. I just had to put that out there. So once again, thank you so much for everybody who listened throughout the past year and beyond or just recently. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart as we have a lot to look forward to, not only here on this podcast, but certainly for the new year 2024 and beyond. And a programming note, I believe I will be on New Year's Day. 
And that is a Monday. I understand a holiday. I was not on for Christmas as I postponed that until Tuesday. So if you have not listened to the podcast just a couple days ago, it's up. Give it a listen. I'd appreciate it. But I would think right now I'm going to have a podcast on Monday. But stay tuned to my YouTube channel, at J Reels, as I mentioned. That's a platform where I post daily. And I'll keep you up to date with what's happening, not only in sports, but also with the podcast. So definitely stay tuned to that. Subscribe. Like, thumbs up, the whole nine, as I'll keep you abreast on whether or not I will be on the air Monday. But right now, I will say that it is a yes as we get ready to start off the new year. And with the NFL, because that's going to be a big theme here over the next few weeks as we're just two weeks away from the end of the regular season. I understand college football, when we talk about January 1st, we have the semifinals, which you know I'm going to unpack there and give a little preview. Now, I understand if I'm going to be on the air Monday and release a podcast sometime in the afternoon, I could get into that a lot more further then, but I wanted to at least open the hood to discuss that when I get past the NFL. And to me, there are two storylines, one schedule and the other some news here over the last 24 hours in reference to a former Super Bowl winning quarterback who looks like he's on his way out in Denver. But I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins because I've discussed them from time to time throughout the last month or so, and as we talked on Tuesday, the Dolphins are a team that are similar to the Dallas Cowboys. They're a team that's had a big year, a big offense, they play well in their building, and for whatever the reason, they cannot seem to win a big road game for their lives. And guess what? Not only do they have an enormous road game, but one that could really set the tone and certainly change the whole complexion of the conference when it comes to not only having the number one seed and having the AFC go through Miami, or even worse, if they lose in Baltimore and then they play Buffalo the following week, which looks like it could be for the AFC East considering that the Bills will host the Patriots on Sunday, there is a possibility that even though as of right this very moment, The AFC goes through Baltimore, but there is a possibility that the Dolphins, when it's all said and done, could either be a one seed and have a bye, or could drop down as far as six. Believe it. And to me, this game has to be Armageddon. If I'm Coach Mike McDaniel, I am hammering this message to the players, saying that nobody believes us, Baltimore has been on a tear, especially after what happened there on Monday night in Santa Clara against the Niners, and nobody's going to even think or even pick the Dolphins to not only win the game, but even be in the game. And I understand you can look back to last year, week two, where the Dolphins went into MNC Bank Stadium, and I believe they were down 35-14 in the fourth quarter and had a run that we haven't seen in quite some time where they scored a ton of points, took the lead late, and actually stole a game from the Ravens to the point where the Lamar Jackson-led Raven offense, when they have a big lead and when they play from in front, they're almost impossible to beat. Well, the Dolphins went in there and did that. Now, mind you, that was many moons ago, and you can't look at last year to this year, but I'm sure that maybe in the locker room, whether it's on a bulletin board or during film, to say, remember what we did in Baltimore last year. I understand it's a different team. I understand it's a hot team. It's not week two, it's week 17. But we can go in there and beat these guys. And 
They need a very healthy Tyreek Hill. Even if he's 80%, he's better than a lot of people in the league. But that is going to be an enormous test for this team and for the NFL fan to even think to believe that the Dolphins belong among the upper echelon teams in the sport. And even if they eke out a win, whether it's 20-19 to or they get a ton of turnovers and win, let's say, 28-17, I don't think that's going to be the case. But if they happen to win the game, a lot of people are going to think, are they that team? Now, unless they go in there and win 49-3, which I could pretty much bet the ranch that that's not going to happen. But for this team and everything that they've accomplished, and even though they fumbled, bumbled, and stumbled here a little bit, and yes, we could talk about the Cowboy game. That was a big win for them, but it was in their building. So to me, they get no pass, or they don't get a gold star for winning a game that, not to say they should have won, and obviously they did win, but... They were slight favorites. If anything, they may have been even underdogs, for all I know. I'm not a betting man, so I don't know that. But we know for sure that they are, and I would think not a sizable underdog, but I would think at least three and a half, four and a half. And if they want to put the disrespectful card in their pocket, similar to what the Ravens did against the Niners as five and a half point underdogs going into that Monday night game on Christmas, maybe they could look at that and say, well, we belong with these teams. Our record is comparable. They're just a game behind the Ravens as of right this moment. And therefore, they could rally the troops to say, well, we feel like we're being disrespected. That hasn't been the case. But one more time, if I'm the coach, I'm sending whatever message I can from the top guy, whether it be the quarterback, all the way to the 53rd guy in the roster. And this is a game where it should be a 425 game. Maybe even a Sunday night game, but I get it. They're not going to give the Ravens a Sunday night coming off of a Monday night on Christmas. And here it is, New Year's Eve. I can understand that. Much better than Minnesota-Green Bay, although there are some playoff implications with that game. But to me, this would have been a lot sexier if it was more 425. Take that Cincinnati-Kansas City game out. And even with all the drama surrounding the Chiefs now, and Travis Kelsey coming out saying that we got to play better on his podcast, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. But... This is a game that the Dolphins are going to show you a lot. And even if they lose a close game, even if they lose on a Justin Tucker, it could be a 65-yard field goal at the gun and lose 27-24. It's still a loss. Look at the Cowboys there on Sunday where, yes, Dak Prescott took him down the field. They got that touchdown with a little bit less than four minutes to go. The defense couldn't make a stop. The Dolphins kicked a field goal. Yes, was it a respectable game by the Cowboys? Could they have won the game? Absolutely. Did they win the game? No. So therefore, they get no dap. And that's what's going to happen with the Dolphins if they do not come out of Baltimore with a win. At least in my eyes. So, if you're Tua Tagovailoa, if you're obviously Tyreek Hill, Raheem Mostert with all of his touchdowns, and even that defense, could Bradley Chubb For everything that the Dolphins traded to Denver during the deadline last year and all the money that they paid him, well over $100 million and how many dollars guaranteed, can he put up a game-wrecking two-and-a-half sack type of game to at least make the Ravens shake in their boots a little bit? We understand that 
he may need that bookend a la Von Miller when he was in Denver or to have another guy that was would compliment him on the other side to have a tandem similar to, let's say, T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, something along those lines. But Bradley Chubb, you got paid a fortune to come to Miami to be that guy that could wreck a game. And this would be a great opportunity for you to do so and earn that money. And I'm not trying to say he's a bum. I'm not trying to say that he is a guy that has no potential or can't be a guy that could make an impact on this game. But when you think of Bradley Chubb and him in a Dolphin uniform, does his name come up at any point to think that he could be an X-Factor in turning the fortunes of the Dolphin franchise that, like I said, needs to get a big road win in the worst way and also gain that respectability across the league to say, all right, this team is now put on notice as one that we would have to really concern ourselves with if they don't have a two-seed or if they have to go back to Baltimore to play in an AFC Championship setting. So that's how big this game is, at least for me and in my eyes, from what I see here in a Week 17. I'll go through some of the other games. There are a couple of other games of note that we have to pay attention to. I know a lot of them aren't marquee. The Saturday night game you like, Detroit and Dallas, even though Dallas is probably going to be stuck in the five when it's all said and done. And they'll have to go to Tampa in all likelihood to play again for the second year in a row in that wild card round. And Detroit has already clinched the NFC North. But if they run the table, they will actually have the two seed in the NFC. So this is a huge game for them. And let's see if Detroit can win a big game on the road. Because even though week one, way back when, where they beat Kansas City... And we could talk about them not having Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones, but they still won the game. But we saw what they did in Baltimore as they got eviscerated against the Ravens there in the midway part of the season. They lost a terrible game in Chicago just a couple weeks ago. And that could happen with the division road games, as I've talked about until I'm blue in the face. But to me, this is an interesting test for a Lion team that is trying to get some momentum to go into the postseason. And this would be a good test for them to kind of turn back the clock, so to speak, to week one to pull out an upset win on the road to feel a lot better about themselves. And like I said, this would be good for this organization to get a two seed so they would have the potential and an opportunity to host two home games in their building before having to go to maybe San Francisco or even Philadelphia for that matter. And I'll get through the Sunday slate in a second, but the other big story I want to talk about is Russell Wilson How Sean Payton, who seems to be frustrated with his offense, you saw that a couple of Saturdays ago in Detroit where he and his quarterback had some words. And even though there's a lot of news about this benching because we're looking at a salary cap scenario to where if Russell Wilson gets hurt in any one of the final two games, there's a lot of guarantees that will pop up when it comes to his money that, believe it or not, The trade between Seattle and Denver, and they gave him that extension, that kicks off next year. And even though he's had a better year this year than last, but still a far cry from the halcyon days of the mid-20-teens when he was winning Super Bowls and took his team to another Super Bowl there with the Seahawks. And Wilson, not to say that he's washed up, I'm sure there are certain people that would say that, but he's definitely not the quarterback that he once was about five, six, seven years ago. And to think that he hasn't even gotten into the Bronco portion of his contract. So let's say if he 
were to play and got hurt, they'd be on the hook for more money than if they just have them sit out. And even though there are a bunch of guarantees come March of next year and even June a few months after that, this could be the end of Russell Wilson in Denver. Now, they'd have to eat up a ton of dead cap money, I think to the tune of almost $80 million. Now, I know that could be broken up considering the dates and those thresholds, whether it be where the new NFL season will begin in March and then June 1st. But I don't know if Wilson's going to be a guy that will be attractive to another organization. And I'm sure they will because we know quarterbacks, they're at a premium in this league. And we could go through all the quarterbacks that have been hurt this year and even the starting quarterbacks for certain teams this week. Teams that either need quarterbacks or teams that have had quarterbacks and are on their third or fourth string. All you got to do is look at Cleveland with Joe Flacco or the Jets with Trevor Simeon where both Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers have exited stage left and right earlier this year. But for this experiment that a lot of people thought, change of scenery, mile high, big time contract, looking to turn the fortunes of a franchise that has not sniffed a playoff or even a Super Bowl since Peyton Manning left the building when they won Super Bowl 50, and I believe that may have been the last time they've been in the postseason. So to think, once Russell Wilson came in on the white horse or the white Bronco, no pun when you think about white Broncos and former football players, but with that being said, it's unfortunate to think that Wilson has fallen on hard times, although a much better year this year. So I can't knock him. He's got a lot better numbers than what we saw there last year under Nathaniel Hackett, but certainly not a vast improvement or anything close to what we once saw in Russell Wilson, and now you got to think, this is going to be it, because the Broncos will probably rather deal with dead cap money than to bring a guy back where he's going to make $39 million guaranteed right out the gate that's going to go toward the cap based on the contract that he signed, but if they don't have to pay another red cent more, I'm sure they'd rather do that. And then whatever dead cap money on top of that, which I believe is about $45.4 million, which would equal 80, or as a matter of fact, it'd be almost $85 million going into next year. Ugh. Thank God I don't own an NFL team or I'm a capologist or having to deal with the inner workings of how to maneuver dead money or a player that may not even be on the roster, but we're going to have to pay him $39 million. Ugh. But we shall see how that will unfold as you will not see Russell Wilson under center as you're going to have Jared Stidham. Yes, the former Patriot and Raider quarterback. He'll be under center for these last two games, barring an injury, because I don't know if Russell Wilson is either going to be the second string, third string, or they're going to pull a Derek Carr like the Raiders did last year, where they just sent them home and didn't even have to worry about it. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there with Wilson, his status, or if Stidham goes down. I tell you, the quarterback scenario in the NFL this year has been a flat-out disaster. Think about all the teams that are starting quarterbacks this week and have been starting quarterbacks over the last several weeks when you go through all these teams. Chicago's had 100 quarterbacks, even though Justin Fields has been back, but you had Tyler Bajan start a couple of games for the Bears. Atlanta, there's been a shift-in quarterback, even though it's been Desmond Ritter, but there's been... An influx of quarterback play there. 
we could go through all these teams. Pittsburgh, obviously, with Pickett, Trubisky, and now Mason Rudolph. Washington now with Sam Howell out. You're going to bring in Jacoby Brissett. Tommy DeVito, as I mentioned on Monday, seems like his 15 minutes are up. Now you're going to bring back Tyrod Taylor. C.J. Stroud, he may be back in the lineup this week, but has not been cleared to play. But you've had that scenario in Houston. You've had all these quarterbacks go down. Joe Burrow talked about, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson. It has been a mess. And to think, the NFL still, even with the quarterback position as a mass unit throughout the league, it still reigns supreme. And as we look at the games on Sunday, we talked about Buffalo. Let's see what happens there with the Ravens and Dolphins because if Buffalo wins and the Dolphins lose, Buffalo will actually have an opportunity to steal the AFC East away. And think about this. They're currently, we'll say a game and a half behind, but two games in the standings. But with that game and a half lead that the Dolphins have, by next Sunday, So what is that, 10 days from now? There's a scenario where the Bills could probably and all likely be the two seed in the AFC. They have tiebreakers over Kansas City. They don't have a tiebreaker over Jacksonville, but they currently have a better record than the Jaguars, so you don't have to worry about tiebreakers there. And obviously if they run the table, they're going to have a two seed, which would be incredible. But I'm going to say this about Buffalo. Everybody's jumping on their bandwagon right now as the team that nobody wants to play. And there's a lot of truth in that. But Buffalo, although they've gotten hot at the right time, but that team is also three turnovers away from spitting the bit and being ousted in the postseason. So I'm not going to be quick to champion the Buffalo Bills as a team to be, "Uh uh-oh, watch out now, because if they make it as a two seed, they're going to... Just steamroll everybody, and the next thing you know, they're going to be in Baltimore for an AFC Championship game. I wouldn't be quick to say that. Because Buffalo, although they've gotten their experience in the postseason over the years, and although they're a team that, yes, they are dangerous. I'm not going to discount that, but I'm not going to automatically say that, watch out, this team is going to be on the fast track to Allegiant Stadium and make it to a Super Bowl, or at least an AFC Championship game in Baltimore. I'm not going to say that, and I certainly don't even think or even feel that. Because for all the work that Buffalo has had to get to this point, and let's say if they do go to Miami a half game behind and win that game and have two home games in their building potentially, I could see them spitting the bit and not getting to an AFC Championship game because they'll read all the clippings, all the pressure will be back on, even though they could dust it off and say, what pressure? We've been under the gun the whole year, so on and so forth. And then next thing you know, a team goes in there and punches them in the mouth for the first two quarters, and then they're staggering around, and they can't even get themselves up those final two quarters to where they lose. And then there's going to be question marks and a ton of questions to be answered, and there's not going to be an answer to be found. And who knows if Sean McDermott stays, and that's a whole other set of encyclopedias that I won't get into. But that's going to be a fascinating storyline here over the next two weeks, barring... Miami losing in Baltimore. But the games of note this week, and I'll just skim through them because it's not as if they're a ton of great matchups. As I mentioned with the Patriots and Bills, a game with playoff implications. Atlanta, as they're a game behind Tampa in the NFC South, 
that's a game that you're going to have to pay attention to. Las Vegas, even with their win on Christmas Day, although still mathematically alive, but they're going to go to Indianapolis, who they are, I'm not going to say hanging by a thread, and talk about another quarterback that's out, Anthony Richardson, from earlier this year. But that's a game that we'll have to pay attention to. The Rams coming to play the Giants, as the Rams are in the NFC at the bottom rung there as a seven seed. So they're going to have to continue to win to stay in. Arizona, Philadelphia, Philly looking to see maybe if San Francisco and Washington, the next game, whether or not that the commanders could pull off a miracle where the Eagles can maybe get the one seed before it's all said and done, at least after week 17. New Orleans and Tampa. Tampa will knock out New Orleans as far as the division with a win there based on their win in New Orleans earlier this year. Carolina and Jacksonville. Can Jacksonville get back on the beam? Starting off 8-3 and three and now have lost four in a row and who knows with Trevor Lawrence. Tennessee and Houston as Houston looks to see if they can get their starting quarterback in the mix and as well as hang in there for the final couple of playoff spots in the AFC. Pittsburgh at Seattle as Pittsburgh looks to survive and see if they can live to see another week. Same for the Seahawks as well. Cincinnati at Kansas City, although the Bengals are mathematically alive, but they have zero tiebreakers as they're 3-7 and seven in the conference and 0-5 oh in the division. Could you imagine? And in Kansas City, as they've been stumbling, bumbling, and fumbling to see if they could stay afloat and maybe get back in the win column to feel good about themselves heading into the postseason. And then you have Green Bay and Minnesota. Green Bay with very little hopes to make it into the postseason. And the Vikings looking to see if they could continue to stand their ground and make it into the tournament. Because as I talked about on Monday, here's where we're at currently when it comes to the standings in both the AFC and NFC. In the AFC... Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, and Jacksonville are your top four seeds, all division leaders at this point. Cleveland's at the five at 10 and five, and you would think that they would stay there when it's all said and done. Buffalo, number six at nine and six, and then the Colts are at eight and seven. They have a tiebreaker over Houston at the current moment, and they'll play each other in week 18, which will technically be a win or go home scenario. Now, this is barring if they both lose and Pittsburgh wins, Pittsburgh will actually sneak up ahead of both teams in the AFC playoff mix. So that's something to keep in mind here. Because even if both Houston and Indianapolis lose and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati wins, Cincinnati will have a better record than both Indianapolis and Jacksonville. And they already have tiebreakers over both teams. But because they do not have the tiebreaker against Pittsburgh, they will have the final AFC spot as of... Sunday night at some point, if the chips were to fall that way. And then you have the Raiders, like I said, at 7-8, and eight, but they are right now a long shot to make it into the postseason. San Francisco, Philly, Detroit, and Tampa are your top four division seeds in the NFC, followed by Dallas at 5, the Rams at 6, and the Seahawks are currently 7th at 8-7. and seven. As I mentioned, Minnesota on the outside looking in right now, but... With Atlanta and even Green Bay, New Orleans, I understand they're all 7-8, and eight, but to me, New Orleans and Atlanta is more for a division than it is for the wild card spot, or the final few wild card spots, I should say. I understand crazier things could happen, but we'll have to wait and see on that. And then Minnesota, who I would think, 
even with some help along the way, Minnesota does have the Packers, as we talked about Sunday night, and then they have to go to Detroit to wrap up the season. And that's going to be tough, even though Detroit, they may not have anything to play for, especially if they lose in Dallas on Saturday, but they'll have a lot to play for there. The following week, if they do beat Dallas, as I mentioned, they could get a two seed in the NFC when it's all said and done. Because they do have tiebreakers, even though Philadelphia currently are in the two slot. But I think, I have to double check that. Yeah, Philadelphia is currently number two. But based on other tiebreakers, and that doesn't even make sense. I would think Philadelphia, even if they win out, San Francisco will still have the one because of the tiebreaker advantage that the Niners have over the Eagles. Based on what I see here, it looks like if the Eagles win out, they will still have a two seed, unlike the Lions. Now, of course, if the Eagles do slip up one of the final two games and Detroit runs the table, they will have the two seed. But very interesting to see how this is all going to play out. We're going to take another step after this weekend to see where we stand as the NFL down to its next to final weekend in the... National Football League, and it kicks off tonight with a game in Cleveland between the Jets and the Browns. And the Browns, again, they could go 12. Think about that. They could go 11-5 and and 12-5 and when it's all said and done. A team that's had four quarterbacks they've played throughout the course of the year. And with Joe Flacco getting a little bit of a renaissance here, and I'm sure it's going to be a celebratory mood. I would think that if they win tonight, they'll clinch a playoff spot. So I'm sure the Brown fans, they're going to show up and show out to root their team on to get themselves back into the postseason for the first time since the 2020 year. All right, now I'll go through the college circuit real quick. Like I said, I'll probably have a podcast on Monday as of right this moment. So I'll get into the games a little bit more further at that time. But to open the lid to at least have some preliminary talk about the college football semifinal where we'll have Michigan and Alabama, the Rose Bowl, 5 o'clock to start us off. And then at 8.45, you'll have Washington and Texas in the Sugar Bowl. And that's going to be a rough watch for me, only because 8.45, that means the game is not going to conclude until sometime after midnight, probably 12.15. And with a day of... Somewhat recovery, depending on what you're going to do, especially New Year's Eve. Me, those party days are over, although I'll get together with some friends and have a good time, but it's not as if I'm going to go out there and paint the town red and get sloshed and have seven hangovers where I'm going to eat a cheeseburger and drink a Sprite with some Tylenol. Nuh-uh, that's not going to be the case here. But as we look at these two games, and it's interesting because... I'm sure with all the talk, even as early as yesterday, where Florida State should have belonged, they deserve to be there, we understand the quarterback is out, Jordan Travis, but they were undefeated, they're part of a Power 5 conference, so on and so forth, and with all that being said, we know it's going to be Florida State and Georgia to play in the Orange Bowl, but I'm sure Michigan, there's got to be a ton of of pressure, and to me, that's the storyline number one, because I'm sure they'd rather play Florida State in this game opposed to Alabama, because we know Alabama is dangerous. Now, is this a vintage Alabama team? It is not, but their pedigree and the way they've concluded their season, not only that miraculous 
Fourth and goal from the 31 pass, Jalen Milrow to Isaiah Bond, and then beating Georgia to get to this point. I'm sure deep in his crusty heart that Jim Harbaugh has to think that this may be tough sledding for us because could you see this game? I'm not going to say it's going to be 24-3 Alabama at the half, but could you see this being a tooth and nail, just drag out, knock down type of fight where Michigan is not used to playing that type of game and Alabama is? And even though I get it, Michigan, when you look at the Ohio State game or even the game against Maryland, which was close, although they had a lead throughout, but Maryland made it interesting and actually made it closer than what it should have been. And the Wolverines can come out and say, oh, we've been in close games. We know how to play in a pressure-packed, just nail-biter, white-knuckler type of game. To me, I trust Alabama more than I would Michigan if that were to be the scenario there come, let's say, 6.45, 7.30 on Monday night. And dare I even make this statement, but I almost feel that Alabama's playing with house money here. As crazy as that is to say. And the reason for me saying that is because, not to say that Alabama doesn't belong or they shouldn't be there, but Alabama is a team that, let's face it, they snuck through the back door and barged in to say, all right, we're part of this party, let's go. Now, if they get blown out in the game, that would look bad. But if Alabama lose a tight game, a game that maybe they shouldn't have won and Michigan played that much better to where they were the better team throughout the course of the four quarters, then you can say, all right, Alabama gave it a shot. Now, I understand you're going to get factions from the people in Tallahassee to say, ah, look at this. This is why we belong there. That's not the point. The point of the matter is is that Alabama is going into this game with zero pressure because the expectation of Alabama is to win a national title. Understood. But considering how they got here, And knowing that they are a slight underdog. I believe they're a slight underdog, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't even checked the spread. But this is squarely on the backs of Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines to finally get past this game to get to a national championship. That's the big storyline I'm looking at here. Now, I'll go through more of it on Monday, etc. But that's just something to keep in the back of your memory bank because if you're Michigan... I'm not going to say worried, but you have to be concerned on whether or not you're going to come out of this game alive. Where if it was Florida State, you'd have a better feeling and maybe even more of a bit more confidence to win this game. And mind you, you lost to TCU last year, a game that you just gave away. Let's call it as we see it. And as far as the nightcap goes, Washington continues their magical season under Michael Penix Jr. Their receivers who are aplenty there in a big-time offense. And Texas, who has a very good D-line, run defense as well, and you also have a very good running back there, the Huskies. So, to me, this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I would think that whomever has the ball last could end up winning this game. Washington has played in a ton of high-scoring games throughout the course of the year. Why would this be any different? And I would think Texas, they're going to try to look to do their best to get in the face of Penix. They don't want him to drop back and throw deep. I know the corners for Texas aren't fantastic, unlike their D-line and their front seven. So I would think Washington, when it's all said and done, 
in my gut, I think they would win the game and continue their magic carpet ride to a national championship. But Texas is going to be game under their quarterback, Quinn Ewers. And I would think both of these games are going to be very entertaining. And I'll get into a little bit more on Monday as to how I see this playing out and who's going to come out of these games and represent in a national championship the following week, NRG Stadium in Houston. All right, now let me put on my high tops and turn my attention to the association. And history was made a couple nights ago. And even though I was on this podcast and I thought to myself, ah, what the hell? Maybe somehow, some way, the Detroit Pistons will figure it out and find a way to eke out a win and snap this long losing streak. At the time, 26 games, which matched the 2010-2011 Cleveland Cavaliers and the 2013-14 Philadelphia 76ers. Well, that was not the case. They lost 118-112, 27 games in a row, the longest losing streak in NBA regular season history. And it's sad when you think about it because when you look at the Pistons and we understand that this team is being built the way it should be through the draft. You want to add a free agent here and there, which they haven't really done because this is a green team, a young team. I can't even say a team on the come up. I thought during my NBA preview that because they were going to have Cade Cunningham back who lost a lot of last year due to injury. And even with a couple of draft picks that they brought in along the way, Jaden Ivey in particular, to go along with Cunningham and a team that certainly wasn't going to fill out until we got to the end of the decade and probably into the 2030s when it's all said and done. When we look at other guys, even Marvin Bagley III or another draft pick that they got last year, the Jalen Duran out of Memphis, that maybe he would be a guy that would at least make some strides and maybe be a player here over the course of the next few years. One of the Thompson twins that they also drafted, who we understand was going to be green or SAR. And this team, knowing that they were going to have a lot of bumps and bruises, even under the first-year coach, Monty Williams, coming from Phoenix. First year in Detroit, I mean. But for this Piston team to have this type of streak and to know... Where that next win is going to come from, I can't even tell you. Right now, you're looking at a trip to Boston, which is tonight, followed by Toronto in their building, and then they have to go out west to start off the year. Well, first in Houston, but then they got to go to Utah, Golden State, Denver, teams that obviously have played well. I know Utah is a middling team, but they're not one of the worst teams in the league. And even when you look down the schedule, you can look at January 10th, where they host San Antonio. Is maybe that the next game that we can look at? If they don't win a game between now and then, which again, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games from now, where the streak will be at 34 games? I tell you. If I'm a Piston fan, I know I'd want to throw all my paraphernalia in the closet. I'd want to hang my head. I know better days are going to come. When that is, I don't know. But boy, to start off your year 2-1 and one, and then to have a 27-game losing streak to where you're 2-28, and 28, and that leads to the next question. Can this team 
break the all-time record. The 72-73 Philadelphia 76ers who are 9-73. Can they break that? They're on pace. And when we look ahead at the schedule, it doesn't bode well. They could actually be what? If I do my math correctly, 2-34 before that San Antonio game. Now you would think that by luck and happenstance that they would win one of these games over the next seven, but who knows? We know it's going to end at some point. They're not going to go 2-70 and 70 or 2-80. and 80. That's not going to happen. But will they win at least nine games this year? Could they match the 72-73 Sixer team? Or will they even break that? As I mentioned, they're on a pace to destroy it. They may be on a pace to go 7 and... What would that be? 75. Which is unfathomable when you think about it. But boy... Who knows? Who knows? We'll have to come back at the midway point. Let's come back game 41. How about that? And let's see where the record stands there. Because if they're at that point 5-36, and 36, let's say, then chances are they'll probably go 11-71. and 71. But if they're 3 or 4 and 37 or 3 and 38, they may shatter it. As far as the rest of the association, now mind you, I was on just a couple days ago, so not much has happened between now and then. I'm not going to get geeked up or crazy about what had taken place here over the last 48 hours, but you pretty much know where a lot of these teams stand as we look through these conferences. Have teams gotten hot? Have teams put themselves in position where they've been able to leapfrog over other teams? And that's happened. We've seen what the Clippers have done. I know the Nuggets have gotten hot here where they're just a game behind Oklahoma City in the West. I know the Suns and the Lakers, they're at the bottom of the 7-10 through 10 bracket. So let's see what's going to happen with them. And then Golden State's underneath that at 15-15, and 15, tied with the Suns. But I guess the Suns have a better record in the conference as of right this moment. And then in the East, we all know it's going to be Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, the top three. Miami, they're looking to inch a little bit closer there to see where they land amongst the behemoths in the East. Orlando's cooled off a little bit after their hot start. Cleveland's played a little bit better. The Knicks, hot and cold, but playing pretty well. And then you have Indiana, Brooklyn, Chicago, Toronto after that. Who knows? Toronto is on the schedule after Boston for the Pistons. Maybe they can squeeze out a win in their building. Who knows, but you would think Toronto will probably win. Then you have Atlanta, who's been very disappointing. And who knows what's going to happen with that team. Remember, they went to a conference final a couple of years ago. And even with the trade last year with DeHonte Murray going from San Antonio to Atlanta, that hasn't really worked, at least as of this year. Although they did make it into the postseason last year. But this is what you have here in the NBA. Not much to really... Chew on over the last couple of days, but you know I'll keep my fingers on the pulse as we continue to move on toward the end of this year and obviously into the new year. Now as I lace up my skates to go through the NHL, and again, not really much to get into over the course of the last couple of days. I know my Islanders, I guess I jinxed them, talking about how they moved up to second place in the Metropolitan Division, and then yesterday the Penguins come to town, and what did they do? They put up a touchdown on the... 
Islanders to the tune of a 7-0 drubbing in their building. And that was just a terrible game. And the Islanders could put up stinkers like that. Unfortunately, just when you think they're going good and you have a better feel to think that, all right, maybe they've turned the corner a little bit. They're going to be a lot more competitive. And the Penguins, who, although have a winning record, but are near the bottom of the Metropolitan Division. And what did they do? They went into UBS Arena, not only spanked them, but shut them out 7 nothing. All right, seriously? Lane Lambert, what happened? Too much eggnog over the last few days for your team? And to me, that was inexplicable. All right, you're going to lose a bad game every now and again, 5-1 or all right, 6-2. All right, great. 7 nothing. Your team didn't even show up. But I digress. The showcase game that the NHL has every year, and you're going to see a few of these along the way, especially in February, the outdoor games, or in this particular case, the Winter Classic, which will be in Seattle. The first ever one that's going to be hosted there as the Vegas Golden Knights will invade T-Mobile Park, the home of the Seattle Mariners. And who knows what the weather's going to be like. I'm sure it's going to be chilly, probably somewhere in the 30s off the top of my head. It may be cloudy, it may be rainy, who knows. But the Kraken, who will get their first crack, no pun intended, at hosting and having the hockey world shine on them on January the 1st. I believe that game will be on TNT. So for the two recent expansion teams, let's see how they fare in that setting. I'm sure it's a sellout. I'm sure a lot of people are going to show up there at T-Mobile Park. And let's see what the response will be for the defending Stanley Cup champ going into territory of the third-year expansion team that a lot of people may not be familiar with. Now, my thing is, is twofold. Will anyone watch? I'm sure the diehard hockey fan will. And because it's early in the day, it's before the bowl games on Monday afternoon into the evening. Maybe you'll get a smattering of people to watch, but I'm sure it'll probably won't even crack a million because it's not as if you have the original six teams there. Maybe for the opening puck drop and for a few minutes, they'll tune in. But will a lot of the casual or even the good sports fan, will they be locked in to watch, let's say, at least a period? I don't think so. So that means the second question will be, does anyone care? And my thought is, a lot of people won't. Sadly, that's just the NHL when you have a long regular season and a lot of people aren't going to really care. And even though I have to give you guys and gals a mea culpa, hand raised high in the air, because this just goes to show you how the regular season gets lost. And how, even though it was on my radar, but I didn't even bring it up on Tuesday's podcast to where... We had a Stanley Cup final rematch on Saturday where Vegas went into Florida. They lost the game, but it was the first time the two teams played since June when the Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup in five. And it was a complete afterthought. No buildup, no anything to look forward to, not a peep where it was a regular season game and a Saturday afternoon. I don't even think it was televised on TNT or ESPN. Far from it. So that's a problem with the NHL. How even though a lot of people still wouldn't have paid attention to it. But could you put that game in primetime on TNT? I get it. It would have gone up against the NFL. It would have gone up. And that game was on NFL Network if I'm not believed. The Saturday night game. Where you had Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. And then the nightcap. That night I even forgot the game. 
Oh, it was Bills Chargers. And that was on Peacock streamed. So they could have put that game at least as a standalone to say, hey guys, rematch of the Stanley Cup Final. I know all of America may not watch and some of Canada may tune in, but at least, hey, for the whole world to see, you want to check out a rematch between the two teams that went at it for a Stanley Cup Final? Not a peep. And that's a bad job by the NHL. There's no other way to cut it. So, that just goes to show you that these regular season games get lost, that they don't even show up. Here it was a Saturday afternoon. They couldn't even put it in the evening, and this was right before Christmas. So it's not as if Vegas had a game the next day, as there were no games on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. They could have put that primetime standalone. But they chose not to. And that's a bad job by me by not bringing it up on Tuesday, and that's a even more of an awful job by the NHL not even highlighting that game to be shown nationwide. So we'll see what happens there with the Winter Classic as the NHL continues to march along here. As for baseball, to wrap up, I got nothing. I know Yamamoto said that even if Shohei Otani did not sign with the Dodgers, that he still would have chosen the Dodgers and would have been a part of their team Starting rotation, etc. Okay, good for him. Kudos. But nothing else as far as the Blake Snells, Cody Bellingers, Jordan Montgomery's, any of the other free agents that are out there. I know you had a couple of trades here over the course of the last week where the Yankees traded a top prospect, Esteban Floreal, who had a lot of ability, and for whatever reason, the Yankees did not give us just a good enough shot. And it's interesting with the way the Yankees have treated they're young prospects over the years. And I can name several of them. Well, your name is Miguel Andohar, Clint Frazier, Esteban Floreal. These are guys that had a lot of potential. And yes, certain guys have been given opportunities. Certain guys have been hurt. Clint Frazier, I know, had concussions and had his moments at the plate, but certainly did not fulfill a lot of the potential in that trade for Andrew Miller many moons ago, I believe it was 2016, where he was a guy that you look like would have been or would have been a guy that could have done some damage in that lineup as a fifth or sixth hitter to go along with Aaron Judge and Gleyber Torres and Giancarlo, etc. But they've mishandled these guys to the point where they become castoffs. And who knows if they're going to flourish elsewhere. And you could even go as far back as Jobber Chamberlain with the way they treated him as a guy when he was a reliever looked like he was going to be the next dominant closer, a guy that could have even been a replacement for Mariano Rivera, but then they put him as a starter, they managed his pitches, oh, then they put him back in the bullpen, now he's a starter, and he became nothing close to what he once was when he first came up in 2007 as a guy who was a strikeout machine, unhittable, you could barely get a hit off of him, let alone just get on base. And how they handled that scenario was just an atrocity. So I just thought to bring that up, and not to say Floreal was going to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. or any of those aforementioned guys, that Miguel Andahar was actually a runner-up to Shohei Otani for the Rookie of the Year in, what, 2018? So he was a guy that had a good stick, not a great glove, but could have been a guy that, flourished 
in a Yankee offense, and I understand he's had some injuries too with his shoulder and I believe a rotator cuff, but did they give him a fair shake or a fair chance? It didn't seem to be that way. Lord knows, my father-in-law bitched and moaned about how the Yankees did not give Miguel Andahar a shot, and I'm sure he's going to say the same for one Esteban Florial. And we get it that there's a surplus of outfielders now with the Yankees, bringing in Alex Verdugo, obviously Juan Soto, to go along with Judge. Maybe Stanton's going to get some part-time play in the outfield, so there's no room for Florial to even become a factor here on this Yankee team. Well, there you have it. And then Martin Maldonado, the longtime Astro catcher, is now in Chicago with the White Sox. So not a lot going on. Padre signed that reliever from Japan to a five-year deal. Yuki Matsui, I believe he's a lefty. So you know Josh Hader, he's another guy who's a free agent on the market. Big-time arm, a closer. Not a word to be found about where his next team is going to be. The hot stove has been ice cold, man. It has been very disappointing, to say the least. Besides Otani and Juan Soto, you've got nothing. And that's what I have, people. Another podcast, another episode, and with that, another year in the books. One more time, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this journey. For listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports, it goes without saying how much I appreciate your support, your following the podcast, following what I say on a week-in, week-out basis. As I mentioned at the very top, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review, just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. As 2024, I said it earlier and I'll say it one more time, it is going to be epic, people. I promise you. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion, you could do so at the following. Of course, check my YouTube channel, at J Reels, for an update on whether or not I'll have the podcast on Monday. As of right now, that's a yes, but that could change, so stay tuned for that. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, X, J Reels 1, just the number. Or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send me, people, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals, because whether you do or do not know, This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, sports since day one. I love to deliver my fire, passion, fury, energy into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Have a happy new year. Enjoy. Be safe out there, whatever you do. And until next year on the j Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>